Welcome to episode five of the Canvas Casters. In this episode, we take a journey with Chris Giles, a Canvas administrator at Beaverton School District in Beaverton, Oregon. Whether it is a journey across continents or a journey of learning, Chris gives us some great insights. If you're a teacher using Canvas or involved in the administrative side, Chris's big three won't disappoint. Here it is, episode five with Chris Giles. Episode 5 of the Canvas Casters with Chris Giles, a Canvas administrator at Beaverton School District in Oregon. Beaverton is a public school district of nearly 41,000 students in 34 elementary schools, 8 middle schools, 6 high schools, five option schools, and two charter schools. That's just so many. Right. I know. Uh, Like, it's baffling. Uh, Chris facilitates Canvas PD and uh, use of digital platforms throughout the grades 6 through 12. Beaverton has approximately 20,000 students using Canvas on a weekly basis. Hashtag Canvas fam. Join us in welcoming Chris to the show. Let's go, Chris. I'll clap. I'll clap. Yeah, there yeah, we yeah. are. <laughs> with the with those numbers, I was uh, we need so twenty thousand claps, right. I think, and then we'll be good right. to go. Yes. That is incredible. Probably upwards of twenty four thousand, but yeah, I'm okay. <sighs> that is bonkers. It's insane. Yeah. I was gonna say a partridge in a pear tree when you would it off the line. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. That would have been perfect. So right off the bat, let's let's go right to the topic that everybody is is questioning, which is that Chris from Oregon right now, Twitter username is at O Canada. That's beautiful. How does that happen? Are you from Canada? Because people have questions. No, I'm totally 100% from Canada. I was born a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, I'm from I'm from New Brunswick. So I'm from the very far. When people say Canada, especially to this part of the country, they all are like, oh, Vancouver? I'm like, no, about 3,500 miles east. <laughs> Toronto? No, way far. So I'm from like New Brunswick, which is right above Maine. You know, I'm not the farthest away, but I'm pretty darn far. Right. You went to one side of North America to the other. I did, which is interesting because if I were to fly back home, I'd fly from Portland. Portland to Portland. And Wicked. <laughs> Whoa. I've always wanted to do that, actually. So. Yes. Yeah. My 10 uh, my year old would be like, Whoa, bro. That's that's her thing now. Everybody's bro. I'm like, Ugh. That's so much. Yeah. That's a lot of miles. Be racking up them sky miles. Yeah, um, plus, I'd have to drive too. So that wouldn't put me into Canada. Just put me in within driving distance. Right. Not only like far corners of North America, but you're also like super far south for some part of your life and leaving the country. So give us the background, everything kind of outside of your educational career that led you up to now. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Chris. Well, I am from Canada, obviously. So, and I went and I moved to Arizona uh, to finish my education degree. So, I went to Northern Arizona University and I taught in Phoenix at a Title I school district for 15 years. So, the same school, different classrooms, same school, uh, different grade levels, sixth grade, junior high technology classes, uh, ELA, middle school ELA. And then it was probably around 2012. I was at school making photocopies and doing lesson plans. On Saturday, my wedding anniversary, when it just finally dawned on me, I can't do this anymore. So I called my wife and I said, this is my last year teaching. And she's like, cool. Uh, And so I I went about the rest of the year feeling this great sense of relief, like, 
gosh, I'm not going to teach next year. And then I don't know what I'm going to do next year either. Anyways, but then it had to be a little scary, to, right? Like ask me, like, what are you going to do? And my first answer was like, I'd be a gardener at ASU at this point. I don't care. <laughs> um, no <laughs> skills on being a gardener. But yeah, but, Not a bad gig. Um, submitted my, I, I'd gone in the rest of the year, just knowing that feeling the relief. And then uh, a friend of mine, Nan, who's a mentor for a good part of my life in the district I taught at, uh, sent me a, a job description for a job in Brazil. And I laughed at it. I was like, Brazil, why would I go to Brazil to teach? But I, I applied, um, while I was on the train with my grandfather, uh, traveling to California. And I heard back a week later asking for an interview and, uh, the director wanted to interview me. And then, so I'm having my interview and she's like, what does your wife do? And I'm like, Oh, she's a teacher. Well, put her on right now. And like, literally like Barbie's sitting next to me in her jammies. I said, are you serious? She goes, no, put her on right now. So, so I literally turned the computer over because we're Skyping and she's like, okay, Barbie, tell me about yourself. And so sure enough, through that process, uh, we were basically given a week to make up our decision about whether we wanted to go teach in Brazil. And it basically came down to we can either live in America and pay bills or we can live in Brazil and pay bills. So we basically decided it's probably way better for our family to move to Brazil. Solid. Yeah, I taught there for two years at an IB school uh, and then moved back from Arizona uh, we moved there with a two-year-old and a four-year-old and moved back with my same two kids. And plus, my son was also born in Brazil. And then I spent two years working at the Arizona Department of Education, supporting K-12 standards, where I work with an amazing, amazing group of people. And then I was hired for this position specifically to move to Oregon. So we literally came here, signed for a house, flew back home, packed up the house, drove over here, all within seven days. Yeesh. That's incredible. It reminds me of my first teaching job, which kind of a similar, not a similar situation like that. That is, that's insane. Um, but we were actually hired very similar to each other as far as getting teaching jobs in the same, my hometown. And then we had gotten married on Saturday, moved on Sunday, and our first teacher day was that Monday. Yeah. So we had also did the the craziness of just making a decision and, and starting school immediately. It was it was an insane time. So I can imagine adding yeah. kids to the mix. You don't have time to regret it. You're like, oh, sorry, we can't regret it now. We're on our way. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's yeah. just rip the Band-Aid right off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, before we get into the real business of talking a little bit about Canvas, I I need to know, as a person who is a huge Oregon Ducks fan myself, uh, there's a whole backstory to that that I'm not going to get into, but just let it be known uh, that I'm a huge Ducks <laughs> fan. As a person who lives in Oregon, Chris, Ducks or Oregon State? I got to know. First answer would be I'm a Michigan Wolverines fan. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. I've been a which Wolverines. won't get any love from yeah. the Boilermaker and Hoosier right. in no. this in this chat. No, but I've been a Wolverines <laughs> fan for a good part, good part of my life. Uh, now, is that so because up in I, Canada, there's a bunch of those in real life? Yeah, probably. I, I just think that Wolverine is <laughs> I, I, cool. I, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no. And I, I have to say, if I had to choose between Beavers and Ducks, I like the Ducks. I like the uniforms. Um, yeah. And I think their quarterback's amazing. Absolutely. A great quarterback the past few years. So, so yes, I'm more of a Ducks fan than a Beavers fan. But Michigan, yes, for sure Michigan, even though they're not playing amazing this year. Right. Yeah. I, I actually, mad respect for being a big a fan of the Big Ten, being out there in Pac-12 country. So, much respect. Chris, I also noticed that you spent some time in Brazil. Tell us more about the time that you spent there. Uh, well, like I said, it was about 2012 was when I accepted a job down there. So my wife and I both moved down to Brazil with our two-year-old and our four-year-old uh, and 22 check bags. Hmm. Time out. How does that work? <laughs> 
because I get really bent out of shape when I have to like they're weighing my bags and they're checking. Yeah. yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Twenty two check bags times, times 50 bucks a pot. I don't know what an, like an overseas flight. Sixty bucks a pot. <laughs> so we actually wow. the rules have changed a little bit. But but back then it was um, back then 2012. Um, <laughs> we were able to have, uh, I think, up to 10 check bags per ticket. And so we actually ended up buying um, 18 gallon Rubbermaid tubs used from somebody who was selling them because they were going out of business. So we bought all these tubs for five bucks each and we packed what we need to take with us. So I mean, kids, kids clothes, school clothes, uh, toys, which, you know, you have a two year old and a four year old. And so anyways, we, we put all that stuff in the, in the plane. I have pictures of it to prove it. Uh, and we went down there and we taught for two years at an IB school. So language of instruction is English, but it's a, you know, an IB school. So, uh, I taught MYP and PYP, which basically means I was the PYP technology teacher ages three to grade five. And I was a sixth grade through 10th grade middle school NYP design technology teacher. So I taught sixth graders through 11th or 10th graders. So in any given day or week, I had three-year-olds to 16-year-olds coming to my class, uh, including my two little ones. I feel like moving from Brazil back to the US, I mean, what was that feeling like? Because I just have this in my mind that Brazil is just like this amazingly beautiful place. That's probably just based on TV. You know, what was that like? Was it, were you excited? Were you anxious? I mean, to pick up and go to Brazil is one thing to pick it all up two years later and come back is another thing. Yeah. Uh, and you are right. Brazil is a beautiful country. It, it totally is. Uh, but it's also intimidating because I, you know, go down there. We don't speak. In, we don't, I don't speak any Portuguese. Her Spanish is far better than my, uh, my Spanish for sure. Uh, even though I spoke a little bit of French growing up in Canada, that doesn't help me in foreign country, except for like the Latin root words, which still doesn't help me when somebody's speaking really fast. But it was, so it was a challenge to live there. Uh, the first year was brutal. The second year was much better, but we, we just had great people that we were with. We got to know a lot of people. And moving back after two years, this is going to sound probably crazy and weird, but we spent the first few nights when we moved back to Arizona. Uh, first, we went to QT, quick trip, and make sure we got big thirst busters of Dr. Pepper because they don't have any down there. Uh, and then we spent a few days, I would say, it could have even been two days or three days in a row, uh, going to Walmart and walking up and down the aisle because we were now like in the land. <laughs> that of is not something I thought, that, no idea that was coming up. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite amazing. We would just walk up and down Walmart aisles and we'd just be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Oh, wow. That is no, that has never been said in the history no, of podcasts. That is so crazy. I mean, I know people are going to bag on Walmart and stuff, but I, I could have said it about Tari. It could, it could have been any like, massive right. store where it's all in one it just brazil is it was not a convenience designed that way so yeah convenience and uh i mean you have plus and minuses for for both systems for sure dr pepper and uh and walmart <laughs> <laughs> that so for the listeners at home here's what we need to yes. do you just have to understand that the best way to not be completely annoyed by the existence of Walmart is to leave the country for approximately two years. Then you come back. <laughs> you that's live the in threshold. A country and it's refreshing. It's not convenient. Yeah. That's awesome. Or Target. I, I mean, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, teaching in Brazil was was manly eye opening for myself for sure. I mean, I don't want to speak for my wife because she's she's a national board teacher, so she's already got like some mad skills. Um, but for me, teaching in an IB school was just mind-blowing because the philosophy is much different than a traditional, than what I was used to as far as teaching. So I felt like I, I grew a lot as far as teaching. Yeah, I just grew a lot as a teacher. So coming back to Arizona from that experience, I think really helped me. Chris, can you speak to a little bit? You talked very early on about how like one day you were, it was your anniversary and you were making copies and it's like a weekend. 
Yeah. And you're just like, you know what? I'm not going to teach anymore. So was it burnout? Like what caused you to mentally get to that point? So before this, I was teaching a technology class to junior high to middle school. So I had seventh and eighth graders as an elective. They'd come into my classroom every day, every week. Uh, and we did some amazing stuff. This was in like 19, this was like in 2005. I already had my students with their own digital portfolios. We were already doing video pot, video recordings, audio recordings. We were, we were, we were killing it. Uh, then the crash happened and I lost that position and became a full-time ELA teacher, which is fine. But it was, it was very challenging because um, new curriculum, the class sizes went up. My last class in 2012, I had 47 students. Yee. Wow. 47 eighth graders. As a matter of fact, it became a competition. It became a competition as to which of my colleagues would have the next student and have our class size go up by one or two. Because forty-seven students times that many desks in a classroom, yeah, um, where it was brutal. So, How and, did you and move? then yeah, and, and just the area I taught at required a lot more um, energy. Uh, students came with. I mean, it was a Title One school, so Title One school district. So students came with a lot of. I should say a lot of needs, but they came with needs that were probably different than maybe another school would be that wasn't sure. Title One, uh, And so it just required a different energy level. And then we, no joke, I had to write lesson plans, which is fine. I'd write lesson plans anyways, over a page and a half each for every lesson plan for every day, uh, available to my administrators every day at any time. There was just other requirements that became super taxing in a, in a space where I had four classes and my largest class was 47. And mentally, I don't think I was, I, w- I don't think I could handle it anymore. I think I was really getting stressed out. And it wasn't so much the students. It wasn't, you know, I had a terrible pile of students by any means. Uh, it was just simply, it just became too much. I, I couldn't do it. Anymore. And I'm glad you're sharing that story. I, I think it was important. I, I I was a little worried about asking it. I think there are so many other teachers in this profession that that feel the exact same way. I think that's part of the reason why Marcus do what we do as far as being, you know, and, and I think that's probably why you're doing what you're doing now, which is to support teachers when they feel that overwhelming sense of, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore because it is meaningful. And there's there is something that eventually led you to be in education. So what can we do to get that back? So thanks for sharing that. Appreciate you being honest with us and, and opening up on that. Yeah. I, and I, I can appreciate, you know, the, the elements that, you know, everybody's got their sort of their journey. You know, I certainly have had some experiences where I could say the similar sort of thing that Chris said in terms of, you know, it wasn't the kids, you know, a lot of times that's the only solace of, of sometimes being, you know, in education is that connection with, with the students is the best part. And, uh, sometimes that's the case. And I I definitely have had experience where that was the best part and everything else around it was what was the most challenging. We, what we can see here for sure. And we, we talk about this, you know, almost every episode, just the, the journey that the path that you take through those years, getting to a point where kind of find your spot, find your niche. It sounds like in Chris's case, it wasn't conventional and unconventional situations in classrooms, but then it was also, you know, global. I mean, he's a world traveler. Uh, so you got a lot going on there. Chris, I want to hear a little bit more about your your current role uh, there at Beaverton. Um, I work in a corporation of about 4,000 students, um, and you're talking about over 40,000 students. Just the sheer number uh, uh, and how that looks and how that works on a day-to-day basis is just really daunting <laughs> for me. Tell us a little bit about what your role is specifically and like what your things that you you tackle on a day-to-day basis. So uh, I was hired specifically to be to come up here to Beaverton School District to 
work with our Canvas rollout and basically help with the implementation. And they had already kind of set up some of the support. Uh, they already had uh, created a, an environment where we had a Canvas facilitator at each building. Uh, matter of fact, actually, our first year, we had two or three people who were considered Canvas facilitators who were basically support staff at each of those sites. And then I came along, and my role was to help in any way possible make this a transition from teachers who've never used any technology, from teachers who've used uh, a different LMS, from teachers who, from wherever they're at, to basically getting our students uh, and our teachers using this LMS. Uh, and we're also a one-to-one school district, uh, grades 6 through 12. So you're talking, I think our stats are we deployed 30-some thousand devices, if you include Chromebooks and iPads. So, you know, we give you a Chromebook. Now what? Yeah. Basically, L- the LMS canvases was basically the glue, kind of like how are we going to get students and teachers in the same space and make this work? So my first year, I did a ton of professional development. I did two or three or even four uh, sessions every day. I'm sorry, every week after school. And I would go into classrooms and work with teachers. I would go and just uh, support staff with uh, during staff meetings, or I would stay during lunchtime or prep time. I just this is when I'm coming in, uh, and so I did that every as much as I could possibly get my first two years. Last year, things were a little bit differently. Um, I didn't have to go into classrooms as much. Instead, I could be more of a school base, like go in and and uh, be available for schools. Uh, I still do trainings. How how is there enough time in the day, <laughs> or in the week, or in the month? Um, to be quite honest, the, the short answer would be there's obviously not enough time. I, like I said, when I first got hired, they had a little bit of structure. They already had a, a canvas facilitator at each building. I hadn't met them all, but my goal was to basically meet all of them and kind of form basically a team approach. Like, how are we going to get our teachers on board? So uh, it was, I don't want to say it was a perfect training trainer model because it was not, but it was definitely me working with staff in that role to help their staff. And so those individuals would be open to help their staff. They're teaching. They're most of them are teachers, so they can only help when, they, when they're not necessarily teaching. And then I did, I did a lot of um, after-school PD, like, hey, I'm, I'm doing a session at site A from three to four, you know, sign up and come do the PD. So I, I did tons and tons of PD every day. Uh, no, it didn't hit every single staff member, but it hit a lot and enough to get, I guess you could say, get the ball rolling. Basically, it was just constant. Like I just, it was just constant, constant connecting with people, making relationships with people. It just sounds to me like you really, in, in a case like that, um, you know, speaking to the the large uh, the, you know, the expanse of your corporation, like you really are depending upon reaching out to building level leaders, uh, teachers in the classroom, um, those that have been sort of assigned as facilitators and even those that aren't. Basically, you need teacher leaders at every building to be your, you know, your posse, basically. It's not only teachers. Can you talk, Chris, about how coaching roles we can, you know, support with administrators and how that works with their teachers? Uh, But unless you have bought in administrators, you could really kind of fail at this job. So did you have, was everyone on board? Well, first of all, there's no way in this planet we would be where we're at without amazing people. I mean, I, every person's probably going to say the same thing. And I can say that with confidence that, um, we had the facilitators in each building that, and, and mind you, before I got hired, they had done a little bit of training that summer, had introduced it to the whole staff, probably in the spring. So this is happening before I got hired. And so there really wasn't like, quote, anybody who was an expert. There were teachers who were, I believe, part of a pilot 
And there were teachers who were like individually or independently using Canvas, just like there were teachers using Google Classroom or using Schoology or Edmodo. So when I was hired on, thankfully, some of that support staff was already there. I had, I made it my absolute 100% goal to make sure that I worked extremely close with IT like made them my best friends. And that was based on my experience at the Department of Education in Arizona was I wasn't going to be successful unless I had IT in my corner and not right. just like support, but like we're teaming up to go into the whole administrative and, and that big question. So first of all, Canvas is not mandated. So our school district teachers do not have to use Canvas when it was first rolled out. So that in itself is freeing, but also kind of a barrier, right? An administrator or a principal at a building couldn't tell his their staff, hey, you have to use Canvas because, again, it wasn't necessarily a district set mandate. Again, that brought freedom to people to make the choice, but it also kind of created a, an extra layer of challenge for me and for people who I work with to say, we want you to use this. And the question is, well, why? Or the question was, well, how long is this going to be here for? Um, so there, I, I will say there was probably administrators, uh, including my boss, who is an amazing person. He was on board because he quite honestly was the one who hired me. And there were probably some individu- individual administrators who were like, yeah, I can get behind this. But no one said, let's get going. Nobody said, uh, I don't believe anybody administrator side went and said, hey, we're 100% this. We're going forward. We're moving forward. I think it was more like a I guess you'd call it a grassroots effort. And as that grassroots effort started, you were a key element in the adoption and rollout, we know, of, of Canvas there at, at Beaverton. What advice would you give others? Because I'm currently right now in the midst of adopting Canvas and okay. we're in a pilot program uh, transitioning uh, from obviously another uh, LMS to Canvas. What are some tips and advice you would give to those that are kind of in the thick of it right now, getting started? I, I think if, if I could speak from like my position, meaning I get to work with IT, I get to work with, you know, I have a great relationship with our uh, chief technology officer and other colleagues. So from that point of view, when you're trying to con- convince or convey a message as to we should be using this product. I think starting with why you've probably heard it a hundred times starting with why. Uh, and I was not an expert with this. It's really quite honestly something I'm still learning. If I had to stand in front of some staff and say, Hey, listen, we're, we're going to choose this tool. We went through, through an RFP. Uh, we're we're going to use this tool. And the, the, the most obvious question will be, but why I think coming from it, from a point of view of, of we want to give our students the best student experience that they can receive. And in a K-12 experience, I feel like something that's similar through their entire twi- grade 12 or 12th grade progression is if, if I'm given a tool, a digital tool as a kindergarten, first grader, all the way up to 12th grade, help me interact with this tool. Help me become a learner. Help me be able to contribute. Help me do all these things as a student. And I think one of the best ways to sell the idea of an LMS is it's, a, it's something that will give our students a similar student experience. Last year, a person, who Jim Newton, the guy I work with, he's in IT, he made a statement. He goes, well, what is the Beaverton student experience? And I kinda, we all kind of looked at him. And, and basically from that, we kind of devised, you know, we give our students 6 through 12 of Chromebook. And we say, here you go. Well, if that's all we do, what is their experience <laughs> going to be? It is going to be so vastly different amongst every class they visit, every school they visit. Now, on the, on the one hand, that's okay. I'm not saying that every student in school experience should be the exact same. If we're giving you a Chromebook to have an experience of learning, to be successful, what does that mean? And then this year, I felt like I took it a step further. And so under the umbrella of the student experience, well, how do we create a space where we have a similar student experience? So going back to your question, 
how do we help people kind of move towards getting LMS? Well, I feel like let's give our, to our students a tool that will help them have a similar student experience in the classrooms they visit and in the schools they move through so that we can help them be successful throughout their entire K-12 career. Because reality is, is when you graduate from high school and you choose to go to college or a technical school, you will encounter an LMS of some sort. So let's get you set up for living and breathing and working in a digital experience. No, I love that. That's the exact approach we're taking. I was so, it was so refreshing to hear you say that because that is what we are trying to accomplish with the rollout, which is they're going to encounter some sort of, of LMS or some, some sort of customer management system. And we want it to look exactly like, or we want them to be familiar with the tools inside of this thing so that they're successful, not only in their, in their trade and in their job, but also on that other end that basically they have to prepare for. So I love that. So I would say that would be for my big picture. If I were to go smaller picture, uh, working with actual individual teachers, let's try to give our, our students a tool that will help them be successful and create a similar student experience. It's really hard to argue, I feel, against wanting to set our students up for success by using a common <laughs> tool. I think it's hard to argue against that. Absolutely. Um, and a good friend of mine, Rebecca, had pointed it out to me two years ago. She's, she had basically said, one solid way of getting our teachers on board is to go at, at go after their heart, which is to the student. That's really good stuff. I want I have to ask the tough questions here. Um, so we are, we talk one of the regular parts of the uh, the podcast is to talk about you know our failure moments. For some of us, like me, uh, it's hard to pick one because uh, there are so many. Uh, but we embrace it. We embrace you know, the, the learning that comes from that. And we feel like the best way to model that is just to always ask our guests that same question. So Chris, give us one of your fail moments in education. So first of all, I'm smiling and laughing because when I listened to Kona's, uh, when she was on the podcast with you, first of all, she's amazing. So yes, and she was able to answer this question with such grace that I was like, holy crap, how am I going to even <laughs> top that? Uh, and I'm not going to try to top it, but I, I will say two things real quickly. So one, I felt like her response, which is about relationships, like changing your mindset on the relationships with students was much more important. I think that's what I felt like she was saying. So yeah. on the one hand, I will say my, my greatest quote failure and greatest bounce back was learning that I don't necessarily, I'm not here to, to just make my kids listen and sit and learn. I'm here to build relationships with them. So that when that kind of took place, and mind you, that was over a span of some years, that was probably my greatest failing forward moment, which is basically learning that. But in my role here currently, I'm not going to say I don't have any failure moments because there's probably people who are going to listen to me who are like, oh my gosh, Chris, <laughs> that's not true. Um, so I, instead, I just, I felt like I wanted to call it a growing moment um, instead of a failure moment because I'm having a hard time picking one. But my growing moment here in my position was learning that when I was sitting in a, in a training at the very beginning when I first was hired, and we had a trainer here, and he was doing some training, and he was doing a great job, and one of the teachers raised her hand and said, so what does Canvas look like in just an everyday life of a teacher? And I don't remember their response, but I think I remember them um, possibly struggling. I struggled. And so that was like the first few months I was here. And this is year four, and I still think about that question. And the reason why I'm calling this my growing moment is because my first year, I spent a lot of time going through Canvas one-to-one. 201 and 301 with teachers. I offer these sessions all over the place. Here, we're going to learn 101, and this is what we're going to learn. And then 201, we're going to step it up and do assignments. And 303, we're going to do modules. Second year is when it finally dawned on me, 
That doesn't answer the question, what does the canvas look like in the day of a life of a teacher? And I had to really completely 100% revamp my teaching of how I was going to get teachers to use canvas my second year. And so basically reevaluated it and talking with my, with my really good colleague, uh, Paul Autumn, and basically it came down to, I'm going to teach teachers how to use Canvas in three steps. And I'm going to promise them in 15 minutes, they're going to become a Canvas ninja. And that pretty much was my growing moment, which was now I can actually officially answer that question. How is Canvas used in the day of a life of a teacher? I can answer that really great, solid evidence of how this can be used in your classroom. And then from there, we've reduced this whole stress about Canvas and how do I use it to the point where you're using it. And in 15 minutes, you can walk away from here. And tomorrow morning in your classroom, you can use it and you can feel confident. So I think that's my growing moment, I guess, if that's, I can call it that. Listen, I taught English, high school English for 15 years. So anytime somebody can, uh, you know, manipulate the language a little bit and use some words there, I I dig it. I I like that a lot. And I I love that the moment was a bunch of moments, you know, it was, it was a, there was a span of time coming to a realization. Um, but that realization is amazing. And, and that's something I think everybody that's listening from, you know, classroom teachers, K through 12, instructional coach, tech coach, tech directors. I think everybody can latch onto that, um, which is really awesome. So it, it definitely shows your, you know, your introspection, which we all have to be able to do. I love, Chris, that you can speak to what Canvas looks like in an everyday situation. And you said like that question, you know, really impacted you. So it's your turn. You get to tell us now um, what Canvas looks like on a day-to-day basis, but giving us your big three, we call it the big three. We're probably going to change the name at some point, but right now it's the big three. These are your three go-to tips, tricks for the Canvas community. Again, I'm the newbie. Marcus has been in the game a little while, so he probably knows some of these, but I just, this is when I just get to sit back and take notes. So it's your (laughs) turn. Tell us all the great stuff that you can do in Canvas that you love. I have to give you like two lists quickly, uh, not just one, because because of my position, my unique position of, of being able to be somebody who's, quote, an administrator, uh, who has to overlook things and, and deal with stuff on that, and, and then also uh, been a classroom teacher and have also taught online. I was an adjunct for Grand Canyon University. So with that being said, I feel like I have the experience to bring into this uh, question two different lists. If you're kind of like my position, uh, where you're working to support staff, you're working with IT, I think your first thing is you need to connect with people. Uh, I made it my goal to connect with, with every possible Canvas person in my position that I could connect with within reason. So I was connecting with people from Howard County, Joe Allen out of Howard County, Neil out of, uh, out of Clark County, out of Vegas. I was connecting with uh, Broward County, Orange County, Brad out of Blue Valley. So I made it my goal to connect with people have video chats with them, ask them how to do things and, and ask them for help. So that was my biggest takeaway is reach out or connect with people. Uh, my second one in my position is uh, if you're going to do a rollout and you're going to work with teachers, start simple. If, if you really want teachers to kill it their first year with Canvas with the most bang for the least amount of energy possible, tell them how to use the calendar. That's just it. Like just yep. Canvas, calendar, and you can answer what's due, when it's due, and how do I find it in one space? So that's the big thing is start simple. Like don't go down modules. Don't go down assignments. It's all going to happen. But I feel like you just need to have it. You need a teacher to be able to walk away the next day and go, how do I use Canvas? Oh, yeah, I could just put in an agenda. Here's my agenda for the day. It answers what we're doing. How do I find it? And what's going on? Boom. Uh, and then my third thing would be making sure you have tier one support. If you're a district 
of my size or anything of, of even more than like 10,000. Like if you don't have tier one support, what are you doing to yourself? Because you <laughs> cannot possibly pay a person to be available 24 hours a day, 365, uh, the price that we pay for tier one. That's my top three as far as people who are in my position. And we've had we've had the support with our pilot program that we're doing. Yeah. And it's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do have I do yeah. have a I do have a tech admin in the building that looks at me a little funny, you know, former tech and now a teacher. But she looks at me and she goes, that's not Eddie. That is not how you use it. They're going to stop. And I go, no, that is exactly like they've told me anything yep. we need. Yep. We just continue to ask. Yep. I <laughs> so I tell my, like time. I train my teachers. You got a question that you think is Googleable? You check support and you send it, you know, and if you feel like it's an emergency, click that it's an emergency. Now then, so when she freaks out, you know, that not everything is an emergency. And I'm like, if you're a teacher and you got 30 kids in the class and you can't move on to the next thing, that's an emergency. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> and the good thing is that we don't have to judge that. Like that's, that is not for me to say you click the button and go <laughs> that's just it right right like <laughs> just do it right right um, so no, anyway and, and, and a shout out to them because they are phenomenal I, I ask them the harder questions the questions that sometimes they can't answer because i'm coming from an administrative point of view where a teacher might ask different implementation questions um but again big big, big huge help and as far as like if i could say three things for being a teacher or at least in this position as using in your every classroom i would say definitely the one is connect like you know Conan had mentioned the community i mentioned i say the community as well i, I definitely say try to get into the community community. Uh, but don't be afraid to go on Twitter and, and ask for help because there's a lot of help out there. Again, use tier one if you have your school district has it. And then number three, I think you should be honest with your students and yourself. You don't know everything when it comes to Canvas. I, I feel like I probably know 25% of canvas really well i feel like i know 2.5 percent. <laughs> yeah yeah right and, and and so i feel like as it i have to be willing to say i don't know yes so mm -hmm. i just and you have to it's okay i think it's totally fine i think that our absolutely students are are going to love us anyways if we don't know something yep so in the realm of lists who should people follow on social media who are some people that have inspired you as you went through this journey uh some of our canvas listeners out there or even some some tech leaders or teacher leaders out there that are just looking for people to follow on social media who would yeah. you recommend um and i don't know everybody's twitter handle but i mean like i said i connect with with joe allen out of howard county and neil uh out of clark county out of vegas and i know, I know that they're, they're probably on twitter but they're fantastic um but as far as twitter um gideon williams so it, it's at gideon williams he's from the netherlands and the reason why i connected with him is because here's a here's a guy who's doing something in canvas in europe and i'm like what are you doing and how are you doing it uh and he's amazing i've been able to chat with him like video chat uh the other person is brad moser out of blue valley he makes me want to be like him basically uh that's how i have to say that and my friend my friend brent warner who teaches in california at community college he works with uh I believe he works with uh, English language students and I don't want to pigeonhole him, but he's pretty amazing because he's not a Canvas administrator like me. He is a teacher who's using it and he's got a lot of feedback and I love talking to him. Uh, and then, of course, a good friend of mine who I actually work with, um, Rebecca Larson. She's one of our Canvas facilitators and is also a teacher at Sunset. And so hers is at Sunset Larson. Uh, and then finally, a new person I just met, and I'm not going to pronounce her last name because I will mispronounce it probably, but her name is, first name is Laura. Uh, anyway, she's at a Mesa um, Public Schools in Phoenix, and she is doing amazing things as well. Uh, and then there's probably 500 other people that I can add to this list. So what is, do you have Laura's Twitter handle? Yes, I do. So Laura's Twitter handle is to me at uh, Laura, so L-A-U-R-A-M-A-E-W-O-J-O. She does a lot more on Instagram 
than per se Twitter. That's actually where I connected right. with her. Quite honestly, awesome. most people who I've connected with on Twitter or somehow other someplace, I really try to make sure I get a chance to video chat with them and, and connect with them and ask questions and just talk. Very cool. Uh, so we know how to find you on Twitter. Is there any other platform that you are active on uh, that our followers can give you a follow? Uh, Instagram. It's the same. Twi- it's the same handle. Oh, Canada okay. tweet at Instagram. Okay. Marcus, oh, one, two, three. Oh, Canada. Canada. That's pretty good. Nailed it. That's pretty <laughs> good. We're really good. We're that was really, really good. good. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. That's um, what, what that is. That what that, That's no shame is what that is called. No shame. No, no shame. shame in the game. No. 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 So, yeah, Not definitely. I mean, I'm on Instagram, but mostly it's my life and my family's. Um, but what we do at work too. And then uh, probably in the Canvas community as well. I'm not near as active as Kona or as, as, as much as I'd like to be. And make sure you give a lot of love to your CSM if you have one. Like we have a CSM, our customer service manager and ours, her mm-hmm. name is Jana and she's amazing. Uh, so if you're a district that's going to adopt Canvas, you'll probably get a CSM, but make sure you give a lot of love and support to them because their job is mind-blowing and our CSM is amazing. I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, our CSM is Jordan yes. and that dude, it's like anything I need, he's yeah. on it. And even when we even when we use the tier one support, like yeah. I don't know if he gets follow-ups on that, but he's like, hey, I saw some emails come through, like let me know what you need. Yep. And it's incredible. So it, it, and it's like what we always talk about, like everybody in the community is super helpful and um, they kind of wrap you around in, in the support blanket and say, everything's going to be fine uh, when you're freaking out at like three. <laughs> AM and like, I don't know how this is going to happen. Yes. Um, and Jordan and jo- our jo- Jordan Kramer, he's been amazing. Like that guy. I don't know how he does. Like you said, I don't know how these people do it because they're eat, sleep, I don't and breathing canvas. Yeah, I don't think they sleep. <laughs> they, there's no, no way they do. sleep till. There's no way they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. We're not no. doing that anymore. No. Um, well, Chris, on behalf of Canvas Casters, myself and Eddie, we want to thank you so much for your time. It's been a really insightful conversation. Can't wait for everybody to hear this episode. And remember, we don't work for Canvas. Canvas works for us. Eddie and I want to thank some of our latest Twitter followers and fans of the podcast. Mr. Clink at VA Teacher 32 from Virginia, Joe Wakeman at Wakeman Joe in Nevada, Odvar Brecka at Odvar underscore Brecka in Norway, Francis Quirk at Francis Quirk in London, England, and Vicky Morgado at Vicky Morgado One in Ontario, Canada. Welcome to the Canvas fam.